Good morning, everyone. Um, welcome to the last breakfast before our summer break, and we have a good one at that. I am Matthew Hart, CEO for Longwoods Publishing and producers of these events. Please feel free to uh, reach out to any of today's speakers um, on their social media, whether or not that be Twitter or LinkedIn. Those are good places to start. Uh, to guide us through this morning, I would like to welcome for University of Victoria, Dr. David Castle. David, it's all yours. Great. Thanks so much. Um, yep, I'm David Castle. I'm a professor actually in the School of Public Administration of Public Health at the uh, University of Victoria. And uh, I also uh, work with the uh, Office of the Chief Science Advisor to the Prime Minister as well. Uh, so I'm very glad to be uh, moderating this event. And I, I come to you from the traditional territories of the Wasanich peoples uh, out on Vancouver Island. And so this is a really great event, and I'm, I'm very pleased to be moderating uh, some discussion around the third report of the Pan-Canadian uh, Health Data Strategy Expert Group and the work that we've been doing uh, over the last 20 or so uh, so months. Uh, so thanks again also to our, our sponsors, uh, without which uh, these events would, would not happen or would be a lot harder to make happen, so we're greatly appreciative. Uh, of their contributions to these, these important outreach events. Joining me today are Jeff Nesbitt, uh, who's the CEO of the Canada Health Information Management Association, Dr. Ewan Affleck, Senior Medical Advisor, College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta, Dr. Kim McGrail, Scientific Director, Health Data Research Network of Canada, and Dr. Vivek Gold, President of the University of Waterloo. Our plan for uh, this morning's session uh, is to have fairly brief uh, opening remarks from each one of the, the panelists so that we can move on to what we hope will be a lively Q&A session around this, around this rich uh, topic that we're going to uh, discuss today. And so our uh, plan then is to have uh, Vivek, Ewan, Kim and Jeff say a few uh, opening remarks about, uh, about the, the report that we've delivered, our vision, thinking about trust and engagement and thinking about literacy and stewardship as we move forward. So we're hoping to move through these remarks fairly quickly so that we can uh, take up approximately 25 minutes of our time and then leave the rest of the session for, for Q&A. So without uh, prolonging my introduction, then I'd like to invite Vivek, who has been our uh, uh, very capable chair of our expert advisory group to give a view, an overview of uh, the, uh, the three reports focusing specifically, I think, on the third report and the recommendations therein. So, Vivek, over to you. Well, thank you, David, and uh, thanks to everyone that's uh, joined us uh, today. It's great to see so many familiar names in the uh, attendee list and really appreciate your interest. Um, so the link for the three reports has been posted in the, in the chat. I'm going to just give a couple of quick overview comments on the genesis of the expert group um, and uh, focus in on some of the key recommendations and then my co-panelists will flesh uh, these ideas out. And uh, we're hoping as part of the discussion, we will get into, I think, the really existential question, what next and, and, and how we can all work together to ensure that these ideas and, and thoughts um, get implemented and um, move forward finally after many years. So the origin of this work was at actually the very start of the pandemic, which feels like so long ago uh, towards the end of the first wave. Um, there was a commitment amongst the first ministers uh, to address 
some of the immediate data challenges that were being faced uh, during the COVID pandemic, um, as well as uh, a commitment to develop a plan for ensuring that Canada has the data that it needs at the local level, provincial, territorial level, and federal level uh, in response to future uh, health threats. And, and so that was the genesis uh, for our group to develop the plans or the, the model for a pan-Canadian health data strategy to advise on that. Um, we did, you know, we did a series of reports. In, in the first report, we essentially reviewed the last 60 years of similar reports. And uh, many of you are familiar, many of you who are on this, I think took part in some of those earlier exercises. Uh, and, and so know uh, what the findings were and what happened. And, you know, there's a consistency in the recommendations that we saw. Um, in the second report, we really focused on the scope of what needs to be addressed and a, a few key points to emphasize. One is that, that even though we came out of a public health crisis, what we recognized was there's no bright line between public health data and health system data. And as we look at some of the questions that we had to address, whether it's calculating vaccine efficacy or doing uh, surveillance for variants of concern and looking at what the outcomes are from different variants, you need to bring together data from public health with the health system in close to real time if you want to be able to get at, at what's necessary. And, and so for our third report, where we landed was we recognized that the challenges that we have to address are not one of systems or technical issues. They are important things that we have to resolve, but we can't jump to those challenges without addressing some fundamental things. And first and foremost is really having a shared vision for where we want to go. Um, and, and so we've developed uh, a draft for discussion uh, of uh, a vision for a person-centered learning health system and accompanying it a health data charter. And we think that having a vision for a person-centered learning health system will drive what we need to do um, in terms of the data. Because if we build a health system that is centered around individuals, and we use the term person purposely because it's not just patient data, it's data at all stages of the life cycle course, including when people are healthy, so person-centered. And a learning health system, one that's constantly improving and learning, has to have the data structured in the way that will also then support all the other uses that are important. Population and public health, health services management improvement, and research and innovation. And the charter, um, which is based on a series of other uh, documents uh, that are well accepted, well recognized, really gives us a North Star. You know, here's what Canadians deserve and um, how we need to organize things. Um, and we think that these could be the basis 
for consensus amongst uh, governments uh, and amongst uh, a broad range of civil society organizations. What we do think is really important to get addressed before we jump to the technical issues is first and foremost, governance and accountability. How we make decisions, and if we go back from our lessons of the previous 60 years, if we jump straight to trying to figure out what systems to implement, and we don't know how we're gonna make the decisions around how we're gonna implement those systems across provinces and territories, across different healthcare organizations, we're not going to get the outcome that we need. We need uh, an approach to developing our policy frameworks and particularly policies around health data privacy um, that will be consistent across jurisdictions. And uh, one of the things that we recommend in our second report is to shift from models of health information custodianship to models of health data stewardship. And, and by that, we mean it's important to protect privacy. This is what custodians have been charged with legally, but we believe it's also important to ensure that data are used to improve individual outcomes as well as population level outcomes. And, and finally, um, we need to engage with the population. We need to engage with Canadians um, in making the decision. So the governance, the accountability, um, I don't think we'll succeed if we don't have the engagement, if we don't have the trust of the population. Uh, my co-panelists will talk further about this. We need to improve data literacy throughout the, the system. And um, we need to work on all of this in engagement with Indigenous communities. Um, we've been purposeful in our recommendations and not laying out how Indigenous communities uh, should do this. Um, they need to um, come to their own decisions through their own processes, but we, we also need to ensure that we don't leave out Indigenous communities as we develop our um, data infrastructure going forward. So with that, David, I'll, I'll pause and um, let you go on with our co-panelists. Great. Thanks so much, Vivek, for the, the, the overview, the synopsis. Um, I'd like to turn to you now, Ewan, um, get your views about the, the vision um, that, we've, that we've assembled as a group and say a little bit about the, the charter that we've, we've put forward for thinking about how we can actually advance the, the cause of, of person-centric health data in Canada. Absolutely. <clears throat> thank you, David, and thank you, Vivek, for those comments. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm coming to you from Treaty 6 territory today. And uh, so Vivek used a few terms, North Star, Common Vision, you know, the Charter being a North Star. So I'll just use my few minutes here to, to talk about this notion of, of, a, of a, a learning health uh, system really defined by the design principles that we've laid out in this proposed Canadian Health Data Charter. And so, so why, why is this important and how will this <clears throat> help us 
um, you know, move move forward in this agenda, as Vivek says, as opposed to many very laudable uh, prior attempts that, that that don't seem to have uh, realized their their aim, their 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 goal. So, um, to explain why we think defining a set of principles is important, I think we can ask start by 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 all agreeing i mean i don't think there's any doubt that that health data in canada is fragmented that's sort of a truism i, I don't think there's anyone who's going to debate that uh, so it is fragmented uh, almost at every level and this is something that is shared across provinces and territories jurisdictions between custodians and as we know this causes manifold issues certainly with respect to the provision of of quality services uh, research, population, health, um, management, education, so forth, all really, all sectors are unified in our, our, the challenges we face by the fragmentation of health data. And that this, as Vivek implied, was a theme. We realized that we're, we're unified in our concerns across divisions of the health sector uh, with, with the fragmentation of data. So interoperability sort of becomes a holy grail. Um, you know, if, if we had data that flowed where we wanted it to, when we required it, if we were able to consolidate it or pool it for research and public health purposes, that I think would optimize uh, our, our ability. So the question is then, why is this? How, do we, how did we get here? Why, why, are, why is our data so fragmented? First of all, is this a technical issue? Uh, certainly there are technical components, but I would suggest that this is definitively, the genesis of this is not technical. We can look at just about any other industry in the world now, and they are able to consolidate and to technically leverage um, interoperable data. That, and, and yet we have had a problem here uh, in, in healthcare, and in fact, I would suggest our decision collectively across all provinces and territories, because it's consistent, to deploy fragmenting technology was a choice we made. It was a design choice that we have engaged in for about 30 years. So really, the, the fragmentation is really a symptom of our inability to agree upon set principles of system and technical design that actually uh, result in interoperability. Because there is no doubt that the technology currently exists, that is not the impairment. So as Vivek said, you know, our report focuses on how can we then achieve a mechanism or a means or a set of harmonized principles around an approach to our defragmentation or integration of, of, of health information. So why did we choose then to deploy to the cost of billions of dollars and the current havoc we are experiencing? Why did we choose to deploy really what amounts to custodial centric or service centric uh, solutions that do not speak to each other? Why did we choose to do so? And I think if you analyze that, this will help bring us to the conclusion or, or a more apt um, problem identification. We have used historical, really analog age policies and governance models that have led us to 
accountabilities for technology and system deployment that have occurred on a service basis and on an individual province and territory basis without compelling anyone to build solutions that, 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 that have data trust standards um, that, that compel them to share data. And so basically we have built a service centric or custodian centric health system uh, that has 13 different visions across the provinces and territories. So this notion of patient centricity, or as Vivek said, we have chosen intentionally the notion of person centricity is really a myth in, in, in Canadian healthcare. And I, I think we have to acknowledge that we talk about it all the time, but it does not exist. We have a certainly through an information standpoint or data standpoint, we have a service centric or custodian centric system. So right now, Kaihai, uh, Canada Health Infoway, uh, Digital Health Canada are working on data trust standards to look at interoperability, a technical standard to this. This is very laudable and important work. You know, it's happening 33 years after the launch of the World Wide Web, but it is happening and that's a really good thing. There's a problem though. No one is compelled to use those standards if they are created. There is no mechanism to enforce them. They, and we've set many standards in our federation before that simply end up gathering dust. So what is the mechanism? How can we harmonize our approach? And this is exactly what Vivek um, was describing. And herein lies the true problem. We need as a collective to agree on cooperative co-design of health data around interoperability or around a person-centric architecture, which will uh, result in, in interoperability. And that really is why we created this charter. So the charter becomes a set of design principles around which we can join each other in a cooperative uh, approach to system design. And it sets out very clearly um, those parameters that we felt were required to harmonize our approach. So it really becomes a unifying evidence-based statement that outlines foundational system design principles. And it becomes a point of departure for us to collectively harmonize ourselves around data system design um, and, and, and is the start of a dialogue. So how are we going to set up a mechanism to do so? So fundamentally, as Vivek said, and I will stop now, but the, the, the issues are, are ones of governance that have bequeathed our fragmented system. So if we can look at governance and policy and our approach as framed by a common vision, we feel that this will lead us uh, in the right direction. Thank you very much. And David, back to you. Thanks, Egan. That's a, a, a remarkably succinct and on point um, analysis of where we've been. And, and how we've got to this this point, and and you you articulate a, um, our common vision about the, the the way forward. So I'll turn to you, uh, Kim, now to give us some of your insights about you know how do we generate the kind of trust and engagement uh, that would uh, that would actually enable enable people uh, to to go along with this vision and and uh, 
and help to see it's, it, it being implemented. So uh, Kim, a few remarks from you about these issues. Great, thank you, David. Um, good morning, everybody. And I am um, speaking with you today from the traditional ancestral unceded territory of the Coast Salish people, the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Uh, I am, so I, just picking up on some of the um, language that, that you and you was using, we're talking about um, socio-technical systems that need to be interoperable. And um, some of this is a technical interoperability, but we also need to layer that human interoperability on top of it, which is, I think, fundamentally so much of what uh, Ewan was describing in, in the focus on person-centered systems. And, and of course, everything that we're doing in this has to rest on law and policy. We can't go beyond the, the bounds of, of what is acceptable by law. And here I'm gonna start talking about the data flows and understanding that we have the technical systems in place. How do we move data around for purposes that it needs to move? Um, because this is a, a complicated architecture and, and all the data will not be in one location. So in addition to the law and policy that will guide us, um, we will rely on trust in, of the many people that operate in the system. And, and part of this is because of this human interoperability component. We know that laws can be interpreted in different ways and trust is uh, fundamentally uh, such a huge portion of um, whether we want to see data about us or data from the um, area that we are responsible for, say in healthcare delivery in the hands of somebody else. Um, so in addition to the trust piece, the data flows also, and the rules around that also have to be nimble because um, the data system itself is <clears throat> constantly evolving. The, the things that we call health data today, we might not have even understood as possible data sets 10 or 15 years ago. And what people want to do with data is also evolving pretty quickly. You just think about machine learning and artificial intelligence, a pretty good example of that. So in other words, we're always going to have situations where we need to make normative or values-based decisions about data use. And, and what I mean by that is who can have access to what, for what purpose, under what circumstances. Part of that is about defining public good or public value that's often referenced in legislation and policy. Um, but doesn't actually have a, a clear definition. It really is up to uh, us to make some decisions about that. So all of this uh, in my mind, and, and I think in the, in the way that we talked about the report um, really relies on public and patient involvement um, and community involvement to set the, the actual rules around data access and data flows. So I'm just gonna go through three um, I think implications of this. So one is that patients would have access to their own data in these systems. If, if we were, if we want to build trust in data systems and data flows, then it's hard to see in a person-centered system how we leave person access out of that. And certainly it's one of the things that we hear all the time talking to the public about first priorities. Uh, data flows also need to be able to support the transitions that people make as they move through the system, which is one of the, the weak points when you have interoperable systems, is how to, does data actually cross from one boundary to another. So we need to make sure that those flows are, are working properly. And then the public involvement in the broader systems about how data are used will help us, not just with transparency. So this isn't simply if we just tell people how things are working, they'll feel comfortable and we'll earn their trust. It's actually involving them in the decisions that we want to make. Um, and this would mean, uh, as we recommended in the third report, actually setting up an ongoing public assembly 
So this is not so much that we want to devolve um, individual transactional decisions to every person in Canada about data flows. We recognize that there's some good that comes from using data at an aggregate level, and we want to be able to support that. Um, but that it does mean we need public voice to help us make um, the decisions about, especially the boundary cases where there's values involved, and to help us evolve the system as data systems um, themselves change in their content and, and the capabilities. So, and then just finally to underline um, what has already been said about um, First Nations, Inuit, and Métis, the communities and individuals, everything I've said would apply, but as Ewan said, this is really about um, finding ways to support Indigenous data sovereignty, um, letting community, the Indigenous communities to define what they want this to look like, but ideally getting to a point where we have some interoperability across those different systems um, and recognizing that people move from different spaces and we want the data to flow with them. So I will leave it at that, David, back to you. Thanks very much, Kim. <clears throat> so that's um, it's a lot of work to engage all of these, <clears throat> these communities and develop this kind of trust and engagement and buy into the, into the vision that, uh, that we've articulated. Um, one of the things that uh, I found very interesting in the work of our expert advisory group over the many months that we worked together uh, was that eventually we had to come to a, a common understanding about some of the key, key terms and, and, and their meaning and also to think about the vision as we were projecting it forward, what it actually, what it actually meant. And I, I was thinking, you know, Jeff, this is such an important area and one in which you're actively engaged in. Is, uh, um, how much how much work do we actually have to do now to up our um, health data literacy and and tackle the challenges of of developing the competencies that we need um, to get at the stewardship model that we're interested in? Yeah, thanks, uh, David, and uh, I'll recognize that I'm uh, I'm spending time with you today from the neutral Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples uh, here in Kitchener Kitchener Waterloo. And uh, it has been uh, a delight to sit with the EAG and reflect on this for uh, the, the, the 20 months uh, from the beginning of the pandemic, as Vivek mentioned, uh, to, to uh, recently. And I, I think, uh, David, uh, it builds on, you know, what everybody has a common experience around, specifically in the last couple of years, that health information has really dominated media headlines, right? I can't recall a time in our past where it's been a dim dinner table conversation for Canadians. And I think, I think ultimately that's allowed us to witness how data truly impacts the lives of people. And uh, so it's been inspirational to sit with, uh, with everybody and, and, and share this. And as, in, as we continue the national conversation on this, I think um, what, it, what it has done is truly highlight the need to improve what, what we've called health data literacy with not only um, uh, the professionals, but also as, as, as Kim mentioned, right? Uh, create those uh, circles where, where, we can, where we can advance the literacy of people of, our, of, of the country. And so, and, and, and we see the results of this or the symptoms of these gaps, right? From uh, the public discourse around vaccine efficacy rates or vaccine shopping, right? We wit witnessed how public health di discourse has become increasingly vulnerable to misinformation. And that misinformation is used as ammunition in, in debates around public health decisions. So Canadians, whether professionals in health systems 
or the people across the country. I, I think the report really has a touchstone in there about the need for better literacy to understand how, how the information is being presented to them, but then the ability to uh, look at it and interpret it and, and understand it. And so part of the part of the discourse over the last 20 months of the, the group, um, there is a recognition that health information is also now very pervasive across all sectors of our economy. And I think that plays also into the, the literacy side, right? It's used across the country to deliver care, plan public health services, but also develop products in the private sector and to adjust uh, policy to ensure we're solving the right problems. So in relation to workforce development, the report specifically calls out literacy as a key section um, in relation to curricular standards. This is the exciting part is we can, and the report recognizes this, we can recognize that there's standards already there that can be leveraged, but curated and adapted and then scaled. And so by doing that and by taking that mindset to adapt, curate and adapt, we can then connect it to frontline care and new data functions that exist focusing a little more on the data quality and data side and the story of the person relative and, 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 and how to enable the technology to enable those stories. So we have an opportunity to address misinformation, mistrust, and also increase uh, the literacy of people in Canada. In this way, we are using our educational standards, our educational system in Canada to invoke as a lever of change back into the health system. So we can innovate a little bit outside the health system and bring it and roll it back. And so the, the report really speaks to the fact that I think in the past, maybe we viewed health information management as an afterthought, right? Kind of the thing you do after. Um, and I, I think with the advancement of what Ewan was saying around the learning health system, it's not just an output anymore. And it's, it's very much an input because it recognized the story of a person, of a community, and our country. And it, it goes deeper in the report to speak about data stewardship as a practice in health information that would be, as Vivek said, right, accountable to champion the access of data, but while ensuring it's protected for the individual and then leverage for clinical and analytical use. So the, the roles are ironically, very common in other sectors such as finance. So where, where we're able to leverage this type of practice area to drive reuse of data and policies and standards to simplify and scale productivity for system effectiveness. So um, David, I'll end by just saying, um, you know, I think the report really speaks to that literacy is a key ingredient to not only building standards, but also public trust in what's developed. And it's imperative that the, the health system not only um, leverages that within the health, health system specifically, but also in a broader lens because it's a key ingredient to evidence-based uh, data-driven health policy in the country. So David, back to you. I'm looking forward to the conversation today. Great, thanks so much, Jeff. So a, a, a question to, to all of you then, uh, now that you've you've shared the, uh, the analysis and, and the vision, look, Let's let's suppose the analysis and and the uh, vision that that's being articulated is is um, is true and it's good, um, and so we really we really nailed it, done our homework correctly, uh, and we really do have a uh, an, uh, a strategy that could that could solve a lot of the major problems and uh, has has traction has the potential for having traction in the in the world. Um, Vivek started by 
by noting that our 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 group reviewed um, sixty years of of struggling to to adapt our our health system to uh, make better use of of health data in the interests not only of of persons but the system as a as a whole and to turn this into a into a learning system. So let's you know are, have we just um, produced a report that will be another another brick in the wall of 60 years of failure or uh, have we actually now got a, a, a truly implementable vision and if so, what is it going to take to get us uh, there? How are we actually going to uh, make sure that we're able to implement this? So how do we move from, in other words, from, from governance to, to action? I'll, I'm happy to kick it off and, and, and David, I can also maybe take the first question that's been posted by Simon, because um, I think, as you just said, we reviewed 60 years of reports. So in our first report, we summarize uh, the root causes. And so I won't go through all of them right now, but I'd encourage Simon to go look at the, the first report. We lay out those root causes. And I think the solutions or the recommendations that we have are structured to address the root causes. And I think the answer to why we failed is uh, in the past is we tend not to try to address the root causes. We try to find uh, sh the next shiny bobble or you know this, we're, we're gonna go out and buy this system and it's gonna fix everything. And if we don't address the root causes, we wind up frustrated as we have been repeatedly. Um, I, I think the opportunity that's presented that is different this time, but you know, the window is, is short is the experience that we've all had through COVID. And as Jeff said, you know, we had dinner table conversations. People have been talking about data. Um, in our reports, we've presented case studies of how things would have been different if we'd had the right data at the right time. And we can talk about experiences for individuals. And uh, you know, Ewan can give us um, unfortunately, examples from his practice about the unfortunate experiences that individuals have had when data is not available in a timely manner. And we could talk about the experiences for us as a population. Um, if we'd had timely data on the site of outbreaks, the site of transmission of infections, we would have been able to make decisions far sooner about which public health measures were working and avoided blanket lockdowns, which much of the country had to endure for long periods of time and repeated through multiple waves, when if we'd had better information, we could have made better decisions around that. And so with those kinds of experiences, we can hopefully build a coalition that engages the community, engages a broad range of stakeholders to say, we need to do better as a country and then hold our leaders to account, first ministers, health ministers, um, to move forward. And, and that's why, you know, we start with, if you don't have the common vision of where you're going to go, we lay out the vision, we lay out the charter, we're going to not succeed. Um, and, and then as we move forward, um, we can see there are some clear signals um, if you look at the mandate letters for the Minister of Health federally, 
If we look at the work that's being done across a number of jurisdictions, um, health data councils, various bodies, there is an alignment um, right now coming out of the pandemic. And so we need to look at um, what are gonna be the next set of negotiations for federal transfers and what advocacy needs to be done to have these concepts on the table and to have federal transfers to provinces and territories be based around participating in the decision-making bodies and agreeing to accept um, the standards decisions. As, as Ewan said earlier, choosing the standards is not hard, but agreeing to choose them and agreeing to implement them and, and there are levers that I think can get looked at to make that happen. Thanks. Um, Kim, Jeff, Ewan? Uh, David, I'm, 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 I'm on maybe, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I'm just gonna go tie ahead. a few of um, Vivek's themes together here. And David, you asked the question, you know, how do we move from governance to, to action, basically, I'm paraphrasing. Well, first, we got to get the governance correct, because if we don't, we ain't, we're not moving anywhere very rapidly. We're not moving. And um, so, and, and tying this into what Jeff was saying, we as leaders in the health sector need to become literate about why this hasn't worked, right? Because we haven't, we haven't identified the problem. And the problem is that we're building something without any standards, Different people are deploying different technologies here and there. There's, there's, there's no set principles. It's like having a hockey team in Canada and you have a different coach for every player and then you expect them to come together. And, 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 and it's, it's always good in Canada, by the way, to have hockey analogies. But, you know, so you get all the players together for the game. And they each are coached in a different way. Well, how are they going to function? They can have Connor McDavid and, and Leon Dreisaitl. It doesn't matter. They're not going to work well, right? So we, we need to harmonize. Our, we have to have one coach with one plan, right? And Or else this is not going to work. So the way to achieve action uh, is first to, to nail the government, uh, the, the governance down and recognize that we need cooperative co-design across provinces, territories, custodians, and so forth, and probably need to flush the custodial model and reinvent it as a stewardship model. And as Kim said, we require human interoperability, all these human elements. You will not achieve data interoperability if we do not have human interoperability. That will fail. And we've proven that for 30 years and we've invested billions of dollars imagining that the technology is going to save us from ourselves. So, um, so Jeff, I'll just jump in here for a second. I was just noticing some things in the in, uh, comments in the in the Q and A, um, uh, one from Rebecca about how do we uh, ensure the success of these reports? Well, that's that's what our discussion is focused on here. But the dissemination, uh, please by all means, uh, you know, send our work uh, far and wide as as you can, and, and come back and engage with uh, engage with with us. And um, uh, uh, James Genga had said uh, previously about um, helping to defragment this system by tying it to um, health funding to generate more person-centric systems. I think that's exactly what we was, was alluding to, is that the long game here is to actually have 
have an agreed upon strategy between the uh, provinces, uh, territories, the federal government, First Nations, Inuit and Métis to, to move something like this along with, uh, with, with some essentially person-centric you know, performance objectives connected to, to, to funding. Um, I, uh, BGM had previously raised this question about proprietary attitudes, and this is where I want to come back to you, Jeff, about implementation, which is the, if people think that they own data, whether or not they're providing services or, or providing, um, um, providing some of the, the, the systems, um, uh, will this data stewardship actually help us gain traction with a, a person-centric model to help us drive away from uh, that kind of ownership mentality? Thanks, David. Sorry, I was on mute again. Um, yeah, I think ultimately we need to uh, move move the literacy of, and, and that's why I was pointed in, in my opening remarks around the importance of literacy in a cross-sector way, right? This, this impacts not only the public discourse and the public sector, but also the opportunity to leverage the, the private sector in this conversation. And I think if we can get ahead of the curve by educating people about uh, data stewardship and the change from that custodian model that, that Ewan uh, spoke about, right? That it's not a, a control thing. It is more, how do you actually leverage the data for good and have uh, that shift in mindset um, and really, really move people's perspective and lens from one of control to uh, sharing collaboration, but still with a respect towards privacy. Uh, but it's, 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 it's being able to come together with that mindset. And I think it is a change of mindset that we need to need to go through. Um, you know, maybe you and I know you and I worked uh, a little bit with, with a few other folks on the EAG on this. Uh, do you have any follow on thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, all right. I don't want to monopolize here. Kim, do you want to, uh, Pipe in, you're good. Yeah, no, uh, certainly, Jeff. Uh, absolutely, the, the 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 crafting of a new relationship to to health information around the the, the notion of of sharing it is important. What's interesting in Canada, if you look at it, and we learned this in in our uh, you know through through some members and and the work being done at, at McGill University in particular is you know, we have a, a, a robust approach to legislative, um, um, the, 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 the legislative approach to, to health data with respect to privacy and security in Canada. But what we lack yeah, almost absolutely is, is any imperative, uh, legislative imperative, our obligation to share data and use it uh, for the safe outcomes of Canadians. Right. So it's, it's like a, a blank area. Um, so, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was an insight that I think we had. You know, often privacy gets accused of being the, imped uh, the, the impairment to, to effective use of data. But really, it, I think often what's happening is there's a lack of compulsion or policy or legislation around our obligation to share, and this is what Vivek was talking about. So we need to develop, and this is, this, this is what the whole stewardship model is, is how can we actually balance our need to protect 
individuals from breaches of their information against our need to protect them from damage that may be arising from a lack of sharing of data for, for the quality of their care and for effective research that will research in population health and that, that will inform us as a collective um, how to, to, to provide better health care. So that's this balance that is missing. We're all skewed to one side where we, we um, um, anyway, I'll stop there. Uh, David. Yeah, I'll just turn to Kim then. Um, uh, Kim, you think a lot about the way that um, uh, health systems and, and, and data need to be architected to get different kinds of uh, preferred performance outcomes. Uh, B. Gupta had asked in the um, in the chat uh, about this this issue that our system architecture seems to be dependent on the way that it's funded, uh, uh, and that's a key key driver in the way uh, that it's structured and the way that we do things, and it has implications for person centricity and the way we handle data. What what's the alternative? What what could we do better? How could we reorient the system? What are some of the key principles you'd focus on? Yeah, I'll be um, really quick about this because I know we're reaching the end of our time. But um, so it, I think you know, this is kind of response to another um, bit in the Q&A. One of the things we have to do is be really smart with the way we procure um, technologies and that sort of thing. So if, if we agree on standards, then standards can be part of what go into um, contractual agreements for technology providers so that we make it clear that you have to be able to produce interoperable data that will flow um, at the request of the of the data owner, not at the um, compunction of the technology provider. So it's sort of flipping that around. And then I think um, on on the other piece, uh, you know, we we have to have a system if it's patient centered and if it's a learning health system, then it will follow that data will flow with patients. So we have to get out of the institutional morass there. But honestly, the other thing would, if we were learning health system, then it will be clear to hospitals, for example, that understanding the, the effects and the performance of hospitals depends on understanding what happens to patients when they go back to the community. Um, and so the data flows will become important for each of those individual institutional providers too, because they can learn from the whole of the system and the whole of the experience of people. I'll leave it there. Great, thanks so much, Kim, and, and thanks, uh, Vivek, Jeff, and Ewan, uh, all for your uh, your remarks, and thanks everyone for joining us today uh, for this session, and, and to those of you who posted questions in the in the Q and A uh, uh, chat uh, window.